Welcome to the Thundercast, your martial athletics podcast produced by the fans, for the fans, with your hosts, Russ Livingood and KD Hudnall. We're bringing you the thundering word on the thundering herd each and every week. So keep it right here. The Thundercast is on the loose. Thanks for downloading another episode of the Thundercast. Russ, this will be the last episode before we crank out a Frisco Bowl preview. Uh, We've got something special coming up for that. It'll be its own standalone episode because, hey, it deserves to be its own standalone episode. Plus, dude, we're not going to wait another week before turning out an episode because there's just been too much stuff going on in herd athletics. And... Quite honestly, if you stick around to the end of this one, I think you're going to be um, treated to something pretty cool, too. But before the end of the episode, we got to get to the beginning and the middle of the episode, and that means a lot of killer info. So I'll tell you what, we've got a lot to cover, as usual. Uh, this is that time of year where accolades and things just keep rolling in, and, and if you've been paying attention to heard social media over the past week or so, You've seen a lot of it across the entire athletic department. So let's get into it. But first, with a word from our sponsors at 304carwreck.com. If you've been hurt in a wreck, visit 304carwreck.com on the web or on Facebook. Jason and Matt are experienced injury lawyers in Huntington who practice throughout West Virginia, Ohio, and Kentucky. They can't protect you from bad drivers, but they will make sure you're treated fairly by the insurance companies. Find them at 304carwreck.com. Busy, busy, busy week. So I got a feeling that our pals at Ignite Link are once again going to get their money's worth with the things that herd fans need to know this week. So lay it on me. All right. So it is the eight <laughs> things every herd fan needs to know this week. As usual, brought to you by Ignite Link, the Tri State's premier IT management team. Number one, super cool news. Jaden Harrison has been named Walter Camp first team All American. Uh, he is the first for that particular award since Randy Moss in 1997. He was also named to the uh, Football Writers Association first team All-American team, fourth herd player to receive that, and CBS Sports first team All-American. The last two I'm going by memory here was uh, Jonathan Goddard in 04, uh, in in addition to Moss, and then there was someone else. Help me out. Vinnie Curry. Vinnie Curry, that's right, in 2011. So uh, that is um, both for the uh, CBS Sports and for the FWAA. Uh, There have been a couple more since then, the AP All-American, and uh, we are now awaiting the last one to see if he could become a consensus All-American. That's the AFCA. Yep. I'm going to go ahead and pat myself on the back because I've been calling that for weeks and weeks and weeks, man. I knew this was a legitimate thing based on those numbers and averages. You just can't deny it. It's one of those things like you can try. And some of these outlets successfully were able to deny him just because of, you know, honestly, the conference, not not the conference, but because we're G5. They've done it, you know, because they're like, nah, we're, we're just not going to show any love to anybody that deserves it that doesn't have a Power 5 helmet, whatever. 
Jaden Harrison has been a huge bright spot for the herd this year. And again, I've been saying it for weeks. He had a legitimate shot to be named an All-American. And now, you know, there's so many publications, so many outlets out there that name their own All-American right. team. I mean, hell, we could do it if we felt like it. You know, mm -hmm. it doesn't mean there's any credence to it, but it, we could do it if we wanted to. But there's still those upper echelon, and you've ripped off a lot of those. And to me, the biggest one to that you named is the Walter Camp. If you're a Walter Camp All-American, that is a massive, massive deal. Massive deal. And there's still a few more that need to come out. You're, you're right, the AFCA. If you make the AFCA team, uh, I saw our buddy Tom Bragg tweet earlier that the Sporting News put out their All-American team and omitted Jaden Harrison. So who the hell even reads the sporting news anymore? Forget those guys. But AP All-American did the same. They Right. So you, if you land on the AFCA team coupled with what he's already made, he still can be a consensus All-American. And to not – I mean, it's, it's almost laughable. You know, like, really? Like, he's the number one in the country for – in all these major categories. Uh, but still – when you put yourself in a conversation, in a wide receiver conversation at Marshall University with Randy Moss, come on. There's 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 no taking that away. I don't care who you are. I actually don't care what school you play for, and I don't care what position you play. If you put yourself in a conversation with Randy Moss, you're doing something. And Jaden Harrison has done something really, really special. And, of course, just from a herd standpoint, you put your name along, uh, alongside guys like John Goddard, Vinnie Curry. I mean, this is big-time stuff. And we're and when you talk about rarefied air, we're talking about 25 years, you know, when, between Moss and now Jaden Harrison. Dude, this is probably the coolest feel-good story of the entire football season. Absolutely the best feel-good story uh, Jaden Harrison being named an All-American. Uh, I still contend that the Sun Belt needs to get off their asses and award a special teams player of the year. I don't yeah. know how that's not a thing, but it should be. Just moving forward, just because, hey, man, special teamers are weapons too, and they deserve kickers, punters. It doesn't matter. Return men. Yeah. There, there's all-conference kickers, punters, and, and return players, so there should be – and of the year as well. But, dude, I am so thrilled for Jaden Harrison. Going to be a huge weapon for the herd in 24. Yeah, special teams is uh, one of the three facets of the game, and it um, totally impacts the game. I mean, you're talking about a block kick uh, can win, a field goal can win. We've seen how many times punters just absolutely change the game. We've done it before. Uh, you're going to remember that game. Is it FAU that uh, we had uh, – uh, so many different punts that we pin them back inside the, the 20 or the 10. It's been a long time, been close to a decade. Well, the game that I remember the most about that was uh, a game against Southern Miss. And we kept them inside the 10 or maybe inside I think the, that something, was like, it. something like seven punts. And I'm going to yeah. give a special shout out to a guy because um, this happened to be the game that I took my cousin to when he was coming out of high school. And it ended up like, Full on, basically, kind of recruiting him to Marshall. So, special shout out to my cousin Larry. Everybody loves Larry Bear. So, see you, buddy. Love you. But uh, that's that's the game that I remember about punting in particular. That's got to be it. I mean, it it was just a dominating performance. So, <laughs> I mean, there's zero reason in my mind why Sunbelt Conference does not have a special teams player of the year because someone was that much better than everyone else. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So. 
All right, uh, number two, Matthew Bell, Morris Dugan, and Tamu Okiyoshi are named to the United Soccer Coaches All-American list. Bell and Dugan were first team, and Okiyoshi was third team. Dude, I believe what I said, and this might have been on the heels of the commitment announcement, which we may, may or may not be a thing, I don't know, um, that we always are now reloading. But what I took it a step further is saying is like we're seeing a real-time dynasty, you know, being built instead of thinking back, man, that that dynasty from herd soccer during the grassy era was awesome. Like we don't have to wait 20 years to do that. You know what I mean? We're seeing it right now in, in these deep tournament runs and individual award accolades, all Amer multiple All-Americans. Think about that, man. That's how many – Freaking schools uh, sponsor soccer, right? A ton. I don't know the number, but it's probably, you know, over 300 or really damn close to 300 in Division One, And to land two guys on the first team, uh, All-American team, is freaking astounding. And then to have three overall on the top two is even more impressive. I Season ticket deposits are, are live, and uh, just so you know, we're going to be securing those seats yet again <laughs> because this is the hottest team in Huntington, bar none. I mean, bar none. And it, I'm glad this individual accolades just keep coming. The recruiting seems to be getting easier and easier. Guys want to come to Marshall and play now. They want to show up to Huntington, West Virginia, and be a part of this herd soccer machine. But congratulations to Bell and and, <clears throat> and Dugan and uh, Okiyoshi because three All-Americans, I got to think that's that's pretty rarefied too. It has to be, and having two, I didn't look at the list, the full list. I just looked at our our team, but having two first-team All-Americans uh, in any given year on any kind of sport just shows how good that team was this year. But wait, there's more. <laughs> Number three, those three players were invited to the MLS Showcase. Yeah, That, to me, is nearly equally impressive. Well, it is. Right. And obviously I'm not trying to downplay that, but that was going to happen. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like there's, even if these guys weren't named all Americans, that was going to happen because they're that damn good. And it, you, you really hope that <laughs> selfish thing, right? You hope they, they go there and impress, but not enough to make them not want to come <laughs> back one more year <laughs> because, uh, Three big time weapons and Matthew Bell in particular, it's a matter of time. I mean, it, it, that kid is going to be a high draft pick, super high draft pick. You know, it might be staring down the barrel of depending on what year he comes out and who else is going declaring. You might be looking at a number one overall pick, you know, and that is something we've we've had guys get drafted in, in leagues and things like that before. But think about that, man. Think about being able to say check that one off the list, a first overall pick or a top two or three pick. I mean, we need number 10 back for another year. Obviously, selfishly, we want to see all those guys back because we've got unfinished business. I think they think maybe they have unfinished business. You know they wanted to yeah. put that second star up. You know, because then you, you get one, and that's awesome. But, you know, if you're if you're able to stick that second star up there, then you get to move into kind of legend status because we're not a blue blood program. We're, we're trying to turn our blood from green to blue in this sport right now. And um, those guys are huge parts of what we want to do, but it would not surprise me to them for them to get some positive feedback about draft stock and projections and stuff to where they have tough decisions to make. But guys, if you're listening, 
we want you back in Huntington for uh, absolutely as long as you want to remain in Huntington. But wait, there's more. <laughs> the uh, next one on the docket, number four here, Bell and Dugan are semifinalists for the Mac Herman Trophy. Yes. And now, what is that? Talk, well, it is basically the Heisman, uh, to put it in the, uh, the most easiest analogy we can do. Um, yeah. And we had uh, um, Milo Yosef, I think, was uh, the furthest that I can remember that someone got from Marshall in the last five, ten years, something like that. Uh, the this is the semifinalist, and I think that is one step further, or maybe the exact same um, place that Yosef got. You can refresh my memory if you know better. Yeah, I don't know better, but uh, the list was big. And, of course, you're right. This is a semifinalist list, but um, you got to start connecting the dots, right? You got to think, okay, first-team All-American, that's got to count for something. So Dugan and Bell probably got good shots to to um, get into that finalist category. I have no idea how many finalists they're going to whittle down to, right? But you would at least think you could see um, – you know, one or one of them making that making that finalist list. But the easiest way, like you said, most fans are going to equate it to un, they understand what the Heisman in is. Yeah. And this is soccer's Heisman. And could you imagine if Marshall had two guys from the same team on a Heisman semifinalist list, the city of Huntington, the entire Sunbelt Conference would be ablaze with that news. Right. So don't downplay it because it's because it's quote just soccer <laughs> forget that noise this is a massive deal because we've we're put like it starts to feel like milo yosef walked so that matthew bell and dugan could run right that's the good analogy like the, he, he had to come first and put marshall on the map and being in that conversation for this award now these guys that are you know first team all americans leading scorer all-time leading assist leader at marshall and bell leading score in the Sun Belt, all that kind of stuff, deep tourney runs. It feels like we're edging closer to being able to make a finalist list and then maybe even ultimately capture that trophy. And if that happens, Katie bar the door. Yeah, and uh, just some more notes on this. Uh, this came out on uh, the 6th, the week ago, and it was 15 finalists and Dugan is uh, listed on here as a senior. He's one of many seniors on here. There's a handful of juniors and even two grad uh, fifth-year players. But the lone person under a junior is Matthew Bell. He's a mm -hmm. sophomore, of course, and he's listed on there. Now, later today, don't know what time, they will come out with finalist lists sometime tonight, I think. Uh, and you're going to get down to the three finalists. So something to watch for probably by the time this uh, show comes out or this show may come out tomorrow. Just depends. Uh, this news is something that you will want to check once it comes out. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be nice to see if they land, you know, we get us a, get ourselves a finalist. I mean, cause that's, that's the type of thing. That's easy graphics for the athletic department to pump out easy, you know, all that kind of stuff to just keep momentum around the soccer program. But, dude, fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. We want to see something big. 
All right, number five, football had its year-end banquet and awards, and here's the following awards that were presented. I'm going to go over the big ones first, and then uh, we'll read off uh, all the individuals. If you remember from last year, they put out a lot of awards at this. Uh, Owen Porter, overall MVP. Rasheen Ali, offensive MVP. Eli Neal, defensive MVP, Jaden Harrison, special teams MVP. And also Red Dawson was presented the Distinguished Alumnus Award. All all amazing and well-deserved, right? And I really like um, how Red has been a focus of this team this year. And, you know, being, they say, never missed a practice. He was always there. All that, like – you know, and that's not surprising to hear, right? It's not surprising to hear that that uh, Coach Dawson is always watching the herd. It, that, but it's really great that multiple times this season that uh, he and his wife were just um, like shown some appreciation for continuing to do that because I think that's yeah. so cool. And and these guys that win individual awards, of course, that <laughs> that how completely the least shocking thing that you're going to hear, right? Because these guys are who they are and and their play speaks for itself on the field, but the leadership in the locker room, that's the stuff that we don't see. So even though somebody may have had bigger numbers somewhere, it's that internal locker room stuff, that leadership stuff that, that some of these guys just exude, man. And, um, I listened to, um, the uh, press conference, the bowl game press conference yesterday. I don't know if you've had a chance to listen to mm-hmm. it, but um, you know, we, they coach Huff talked about, uh, or not coach Huff. It was uh, maybe it was Huff. Yeah, it was Huff. He was talking about uh, Logan Osborne, for example, and how uh, guys like he and Porter coming here, staying here, finishing in the same helmet that they started means more kind of in this day and age than it ever has before, because, People can just transfer easily. And um, I think that just says a lot about those guys individually, you know, because they're from here and they stayed here and they performed at a high level here. And Logan's not gone. He can come back and hopefully he will. That's never really even been a point of speculation right now. But uh, I think we just need to, we need to celebrate those guys. Not that you're, not that you're, chastising somebody who chooses to transfer you don't it's not a one or the other thing right but you can really appreciate and show love to those guys that continue to stay without burning the house down with a guy who chooses to transfer Uh, i just i I, every year now i continually think we may have seen the last all-time great like not great but like all-time leading insert category here you know, it's just hard to fathom if somebody comes in and passes for the yardage of a Pennington or a Leftwich or a Cato that they'll be here for four or five years, you know, to put themselves in a position to break that record. It's hard to imagine somebody that comes in and scores like John Elmore or Tavion Kinsey staying here long enough and having the opportunity, staying healthy enough to even break those records and be the new all time leading scorer. So when you see this increasing rarefied thing of, of staying, five, six years, four years, completing all of your eligibility. Let's put it that way. At Marshall, man, you got to embrace the hell out of that and and um, 
just just really show the appreciation. And I think that's so cool. I, I, I am I am I have off the charts levels of respect for a guy like Owen Porter. I have off the charts levels of respect for guys like Mike Abraham and and all these guys that came and stayed. I just think that's so great. I, in the same conversation, do not fault anybody for choosing to transfer. But guys like Eli Neal came, stayed, you know, could have left, didn't. It's big time stuff to me. That, that that's big time stuff to me. It it is, and I don't chalk it up to being like a character trait or anything like that. It's just you like it here. You maybe you've asked yourself, do I need to leave or do I need to stay? And and ultimately you've come to the decision like, nope, this is where I want to be. The grass maybe isn't always greener, right? So they came, stayed through a coaching change, through a conference change, through wins and losses. Uh. I just appreciate the hell out of those guys, and I and I really, really hope that we see um, Logan back for a, another season because he's a special guy. Now, the rest of these awards, like I said, there's a lot of them on here. Uh, they are equally important. It's just not the uh, team MVP, and it's not the position group MVP. So here is what we have. Um inadvertently i left off uh it's not just the distinguished alumnus award it's the phil ratliff distinguished alumnus award and that is no disrespect meant there for leaving that off president's award the players from each unit showing perseverance to make outstanding contributions to team success joe murray defensive end tj mcmahon quarterback isaiah gibson senior defensive tackle Chad Pennington Offensive Achievement Award, player who has played a critical role in effectiveness of unit on and off the field. Caleb McMillan, wide receiver. Tom Stark Defensive Achievement Award, player who has played a critical role in effectiveness of unit on and off the field. Keyshawn Brown, linebacker. Upfront Award given to the most valuable defensive lineman, Kylan McCracken, defensive tackle. The Jim Connard Award given to the most valuable offensive lineman, Ethan Driscoll, offensive tackle. Outstanding Defensive Performer Award given to player with the most tackles or points, Sam Burton, defensive end. Eternal Captain Award given to permanent team captain as voted by Marshall staff, Talik Keaton, wide receiver, Dalton Tucker, offensive lineman. Scout Team Award Special Teams, Jason Haggerty, cornerback, scout team award offense, Jack Shearholtz, quarterback, most inspiring player award, and there's two of them, Jocelyn Went, defensive back, Chris Bradbury, offensive lineman. Ironman award given to players showing most year-round dedication to strength and conditioning program, Logan Osborne, offensive lineman, Elijah Austin, defensive lineman, Commitment to Academic Excellence Award, Logan Osborne, Offensive Lineman, Outstanding Senior Scholar, Senior with Highest GPA, Chris Matillo, Tight End, Unsung Hero Award given to players who made significant contributions to team success while receiving least recognition. Daryl Simmons, Wide Receiver, Luke Soto, Tight End, Ishmael Roy, Wide Receiver, Demarcus Harris, Wide Receiver, Mason Pierce, wide receiver, and Miles Bell, cornerback. Wow. Obviously, there is no way I could go down the list and remember all of what you just said and talk about all of what you just said. But I want to say one thing. For the second year in a row, at least, I don't remember what it was two years ago, <laughs> um, 
Offensive scout team player of the year is a quarterback. Last year, it was Cole Pennington. This year, he started two games, and he's going to start – or started – a cut. yeah, a couple of games, and is going to start the bowl game. So, nice little track record there of uh, scout team players of the year churning in meaningful game action. And I think it's uh, definitely a point of emphasis and worth noting that it's once again a quarterback since there is so much shakeup in the quarterback room. And, of course, we have – no idea what this herd offense is going to look like next year. We don't know the brand of type of football they're going to be. And we're going to have to just kind of set on our hands and wait for a few pieces to fall into place and just have an idea. But Cole last year, Sheerholz this year, I like that because Cole came in and 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 played well in spots and you know showed some so showed that there was still room to improve in other spots and and you know, we were kind of high on Sheerholz anyway in the spring and all that kind of stuff. Just like, hey, nice little young quarterback. So to go to to get that kind of recognition at the end of the year, like you're the scout team guy, man, that you did a great job all year long. That speaks to the development of him as a player and and uh, his grasp of terminology and and the offense that we were running and all that kind of stuff. Again, we don't know what it's going to look like next year, but that's a great little two year run. And and if if a quarterback was Two years ago and three years ago, I just don't know. But uh, I know two for two that it definitely was last year and this year. Number six on the list, Rashina Ali accepts the invite to the East-West Shrine Bowl. That's something we had been anticipating that uh, he probably would, but we didn't mm -hmm. know until he did it. And it was announced yesterday or the day before, one of the two, that uh, he is going to be playing. Yeah, and I guess some folks were confused that, uh, that guys, this effectively ends or when he plays, it will effectively end his collegiate eligibility. Okay. Yeah. Because it's a showcase exhibition game. That's it. So the the big news to take from that, and the big news concerning Ali, along with that, is coach didn't indicate that he was opting out of the bowl game. Right. He, he said uh, right now everybody is kind of I don't remember the words, but he didn't indicate that Ali had opted out. Everybody that hit the portal is not going to play in the bowl game. Ali's not in the portal. Obviously, uh, this is probably the precursor to that inevitable graphic that you're going to see declaring for the draft. But it's not an opt out situation right now. Of course, we still have several days before the bowl game is played. But if he's been practicing, if he's been working out kind of feel like it's late in the game to be opting out, right? So barring injury, you should see 22 one more time in Kelly Green. As far as the East-West Shrine Bowl goes, this is a um, this is one of the top three postseason exhibition-type games. And, of course, Ali's not really eligible for the Senior Bowl because he's, well, not a senior. And while they do allow underclassmen to play every now and then, they need to have roster spots in order to do that. And, you know, then you've got to get the invite. But there's probably just enough – running backs that are seniors to play in the senior bowl getting the east west shrine bowl invite big deal because that ranks right there probably 2a and 2b with the hula bowl and we saw some news about that too but we saw this coming it's not surprising um but at least as a herd fan at least as a herd fan by my powers of deduction you're going to see 22 and kelly green one more time coming up on december 19th and that is great relish it yeah, number seven, you just hinted at this, but Dalton Tucker will be playing in the Hula Bowl. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I can't remember. We had somebody played 
I don't know if it was last year, but it's been within the last couple of years that somebody's gone. And I want to say, don't quote me on this. I want to say it might have been like uh, Jalen McLean Sapp went to the Hula Bowl. Maybe somebody else also. I don't know. But they have the, the Tropical Bowl is another uh, all-star game that we've sent some guys to, and they play that up in Orlando. And I haven't seen any news on rosters for that at all. But, you know, maybe – Maybe they kind of wait until uh, players like, oh, I'm going to the Hula Bowl. Well, I'm going to the East-West Shrine Bowl. Well, I'm going to the Senior Bowl. And then they fill out their rosters and start seeing it. So we could still see some more herd players make a postseason exhibition game. But Dalton Tucker, um, great story, man. Another one of those guys that came here, stayed here, and and didn't leave here. And I appreciate him. He's played at a high level for a long, long, long time for the herd. And to see him get an opportunity to go up against some of the best in college football, and that's an opportunity. Think about this. You go out and play a great high-graded game in a bowl game, then you go to the Hula Bowl and you play a great high-graded game in the Hula Bowl, you have the opportunity to shoot your draft stock up. Or even if it, even if it's not draft stock, you get on the radar of some teams. And we've seen it. We see it every year, Russ. Every year. Guys just need an opportunity. They land in the right spot with the right team in front of the co right coach's eyes, and they have the exact tools that a, that a team needs at that moment in time. And you see these guys that nobody talks about all year long, they make rosters. Then they become high performers. Then they become league leaders. Then they string together a decade-long NFL career just because they're so damn consistent. So it's all about opportunity. Now what you do with that opportunity is kind of falls on you, obviously, but without the opportunity – you need more luck. You need far more luck. But I'm really pumped for Dalton Tucker. He's a great guy, does it the right way, and deserves to have an opportunity to showcase his skill set to maybe make a run at the next level. And we are going to finish up these eight things with number eight here with some transfer portal news. Uh, today with social media, I mean, this is kind of old news now, but this is the first time that we have had a show since. Cam Fancher has entered the transfer portal. So has Caleb Coombs. There's been a couple other players on there, but those were the two big ones from the past week that had, uh, you know, meaningful playing time and impact. Mm -hmm. And we had our first uh, transfer in, and that is Tyshawn Doc Chapman, wide receiver from North Carolina that uh, seemed to uh, be pretty electric and uh, impressive as a freshman. Yeah. Now, a couple things on the portal. And I keep talking about this, and, I, and for whatever reason, folks just don't want to hear it. They don't see it. I keep saying, you got to let the cycle run. You've got mm -hmm. to let the cycle run, because right now is the time where everybody's going into the portal. Far mm -hmm. fewer players are coming out of the portal, because they have to have time to take visits. They have to take field phone calls, text messages, make decisions of, Where's a good fit? Who's got, where are my opportunities? Like family stuff, you know, can all of it, right? So very rarely are you going to go into the portal. Is a player going to go into the portal and immediately know his destination? And if that happens, that always makes you go, okay. Obviously there was something afoot here leading into the decision to lead it, to go to the portal. But so you've just got to let the, por the portal cycle run its course. And somebody, I think it was the portal report, put up a, um, a a graphic yesterday, and I, I'm going to try to scroll back real quick and see if I can find it, but I don't think I can. Um, anyway, 
they put up a graphic, and I'm going to get the numbers wrong, but it'll be close. Something like 1,100 players have entered the portal. Little over 100 players have made commitments at this point. So that's 90% of the people that went into the portal are still in the portal. And then uh, the other graphic that was important about, or the data point that was important about that was 90 Division I quarterbacks are still in the portal. See, you you can't just go, oh, well, you know, we're done. You don't know that. You know, you have to give these guys time to make these evaluations for themselves because what you want is a guy to show up and be here and stay here. Here it is. 1,275-plus D1 transfers are in the portal. 120-ish have already committed. And 90-plus D1 quarterbacks still available. Let the process run. We just had a coaching change. We just had new coaches hired. Huff indicated in his press conference that they're pending background checks right now for an O-line coach, linebackers coach, and wide receivers coach, so nothing is out on that. Um, So there's that to take into consideration for some of these guys. Let it run its course, man. If in February you're still worried, then maybe you got a little bit more of a leg to stand on. But there's then going to be another portal window at the end of spring ball, you know. So it happens every year. People see the flood of players leaving, and not all of them were contributors to this 2023 team. Some were. Yep. Some were not, right? Cam Fancher obviously was. Coombs was. Trent Holler, big contributor. Uh, Salas was uh, – poised to be a bigger contributor in 24 there are there are guys right but most of those guys are looking for a scholarship they're buried in the depth chart uh they you know so, something extenuating might be a family issue you don't know right it, it's none of our business just let the let the cycle run uh huff's had really good success in the portal um it's just this is the year that he seemingly needs to hit the um bullseye with potentially a quarterback in the portal uh, to just go toe to toe and push Cole in the spring so that everybody becomes a better player. Everybody uh, in that room is challenged. You know, I'm not saying that Cole won't be the guy. I'm just saying they need somebody in there that is going to push him to be better and that he is going to push that we need a true open competition to the best man comes out of the job. Right. Um, Also Chase Harrison went into the portal. So that, that made some people go, What's happening with the quarterback room? Well, look, the wild card in all that, Russ, is that Cam went into the portal. Nobody saw that coming. But Cole Pennington, Chase Harrison, and Pete Zamora all were in the same recruiting class. No Herd fan two years ago went, well, we're going to keep all three of them all four years. That mm-hmm. No, it's you had to think that um, two of them were probably going to enter the portal at some time. Zamora did it last year. Harrison did it this year because Cole emerged out of that group of three to get the playing time. It's that's okay. They want to play too. Mm-hmm. Now uh, the wild card, like I said, was was Cam Fancher entering the portal because that was your multi year starter. So now you're just kind of like, all right, what do we do? And you couple into the fact with what's this offense going to look like? And there are more questions floating out there by fans than answers floating out there from the staff. So it, it creates a little bit of a whirlwind scenario, but you and I, we don't know shit from Shinola, right? We don't, we're, we're not getting fed information or anything. It's just easier for me to sit back and see what happens before I have a knee jerk reaction. Like, Oh my God, the program's going to shut down. No, it ain't. Yeah. No, it ain't. No, it ain't. No, it ain't. Just, just chill. Take a breath. 
Signing day's coming up next week, right? Portal commitments are going to start flooding in after the 20th and all that kind of stuff. Just give it another two weeks before you jump off the ledge at minimum. You're probably going to need to give it about three months <laughs> or four months, but just give it at least two weeks. And as you know, KD and others that are listening or watching do as well, but maybe not everyone, we are tracking these uh, portal moves over on thundercast.online. That is our website that has uh, various different articles and things. And we have a updated probably three times a week, every two to three days. I'm, I'm updating that. Uh, we are tracking this. Right now we have 21 players that have entered the transfer portal. And a lot of people have just looked at that number and went, wow, there's a mass exodus. Well, it's happening pretty much all across the country. And when you look at it too, we had four people of those 21 that contributed in basically any kind of way. There's a couple that had a tackle or something, three tackles on the year on special teams, but we had uh, we had Sean Salas, the tight end that you said, and he emerged later in the year getting uh, uh, one start. He had, uh, you know, five catches, I think it was on the year, uh, a touchdown, um, started getting used more. But Trent Holler, Caleb Coombs, and Cam Fancher were the three big ones that have left that had meaningful playing time. Yeah. So out of those 21 there are many of those that weren't here on scholarship. Mm -hmm. So they're just looking to move on. Maybe they're looking to go somewhere to have a scholarship, but that's where we're at. Um, Other thing that I'll tell you too, and um, it's kind of a little preview for another article that'll be on the website, but is where do these players end up going and how do they contribute uh, at their new schools? If you look, and this is not throwing any shade at anybody that's a former martial athlete, but Pete Zamora transferred out last year, and everyone was saying, oh, my goodness, he's leaving. Um, He went to a Division II school, Tusculum. Mm -hmm. Now, he was injured this year and didn't play. Um, And I only know that I, I looked up earlier in the year that he wasn't playing, and I didn't know that he was injured. I just saw when he made his announcement because he is now back in the transfer portal. Mm -hmm. He said that he got a medical red shirt for this past year. So he still has four years to play, but he went to a division two school. Now I don't know his reasoning for that, but there were a bunch of people that were saying the sky was falling and that he was, should have been the starting quarterback coming into this year for us. And he went to a division two school. We have seen players transfer out and at their new school, it just does not seem to work out for them for whatever reason they're getting lower playing time. We're seeing it in basketball. We're seeing it in football. Um, There are plenty that are going to transfer out of here and do good things at other schools. I'm not saying they're not, but just, Keep in mind when you're throwing out the number that 21 uh, teams have or 21 players have entered the transfer portal from our team. It's not that 21 uh, contributors have left the team. And some of these are getting offers from lower, lower schools in the region uh, just because they want to go somewhere where they can play. Yeah. Now, see, that's the good part of the transfer portal. A guy might mm. be buried, 
And then yeah. he's going to go into the portal and he finds that opportunity. It might not be at the FBS level. It might not be at the power five level, but it might be at the FCS level. It might be at the division two level because at, at some point it's, it becomes about the opportunity a to play. And can I get a scholarship for a lot of guys? That's just the reality of it. It, it has mm-hmm. nothing to do. Well, it has something to do, but it has far less to do with, their talent level and skill set, right? Because they want to play. Mm-hmm. And and mm-hmm. if they can play for free, well, that becomes a very strong draw. You know, especially yeah. if you're going, if you're here, you're going through all the weight room stuff, you're going through all the practices, and you're not playing and you're not gonna have an opportunity. You got to do what you want to do. Dude, I'd want to play too. You know, I mean, I love Marshall. Yeah. I was never put in a position where I had to think about leaving Marshall because I wasn't playing. It's not like I'm not getting class time, so I'm going to have to transfer. It's just totally different realm. Now, before we move off of here, I've got to say this because this is a nice little topic for conversation. It's not a jab. It's not uh, anything. Okay. It's just food for thought for a lot of people. We ourselves included, bitched a lot about the offense and how it, you know, didn't look very well. It wasn't very potent or high octane at all this year in, in, in spurts. Well, moving into 2024, we know for a fact that, and I tweeted this Marshall be Marshall. The Marshall offense will be without its leading passer. It's leading rusher. It's top three wide receivers, at least if somebody else enters the portal, but our top three wide receivers and at least three starting offensive linemen. So it is a full on, the the term I used was redesign under head coach Charles Huff and new OC Seth Dagey for 2024. And that's a lot to replace, but we've seen teams be able to put it together in one portal cycle and one recruiting cycle with the right pieces. And it just clicks. It doesn't Mm -hmm. always happen. But it does happen. So for everybody that was, you know, upset that our um, offense didn't look very good, it's not going to look at all the same next year. The the, the pieces are going to be different. So yeah, um, it's a great storyline to follow. That's what it is. It's not a slight. I'm not talking shit. It's just it. That's the fact. It's going to look different. So let's let's strap in and and watch this recruiting cycle portal cycle because it's going to be pretty cool. Well, that is all I have for the five, and this week it was eight things, but as usual, brought to you by Ignite Link. <laughs> that was a very good eight things. I mean, at least we had some good conversation and stuff, but um, super cool, but let's roll it in and take it around the herd. All right, so we're going to take it around the herd, and I'm going to start off with track and field, where the Marshall opener uh, was last Friday. The men and women picked up 12 individual victories uh, in the first ever meet for the new director of track and field, Keith Roberts. Here's uh, where we were at, and several of these people won more than one. Uh, Weight throw for the women's, Rebecca Merritt. Uh, We also finished uh, second, third, and fifth, oh, and sixth in that for the women. Uh, Pole vault, Diana Goodman won first. Uh, long jump, uh, Laura Check won first for the women. Shot put uh, for the men, Anthony Dunbar for the women, Rebecca Merritt. Uh, for the track events, let's see here, 60-meter uh, hurdles for the women, Tyra Thomas came in first. Uh, 
60 meters for the men. Uh, Faith, or no, I'm sorry, for the women. Uh, Kennedy Pedro. Um, 400 meter for the women's. Uh, Naya Harrison. 600 meter for the women's. Astoria Beckett. 300 meters for the men's. Amir White. Uh, for the women, Marley Porter. 1,000 meters for the men's. Uh, Kazuma Bowring came in first. And that is all 12. We had a lot of top five finishes. Yep. Uh, very, very, very good first meet of the year. And again, it was right here at Marshall. Don't know how many times they've gotten to open their season here. Um, but I do know that that was one of the things that they were looking forward to of having a meet here and uh, having it be in the opener. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, it, it, what it is, is a uh, number one, I don't know who all the participants were, but it doesn't matter. Having a event on your home turf does so much for the athletes because they have to travel so often to, you know, just about every meet, if not sometimes every meet of a season is away from home. So being able yeah. to practice or, or compete in your own facility where you practice and you know the conditions is just great. And we've we've continued to see a strong showing from the pole vault. Pole vault U continues. You know, looks like Diana Goodman is is uh, picking up right where, well, actually she herself and Macy Majoy left off. Uh, Heard has just been strong in the pole vault for a couple of years. And there was a name you tossed out, Russ. And I just want to put Kennedy some shine. Pedro. Just want to put some shine on that real quick. Yeah. Kennedy Pedro. Um, heard fans, yeah, it sounds familiar. It should. It should. Would you like to talk about that? Yeah, it's uh one of one of my uh favorite uh, athletes at Marshall that I feel does not get the love that uh that he deserves is Glenn Pedro running back of the early nineties, uh, here at Marshall. And he just happened to be here kind of simultaneously, actually uh, fraternity brother of, and kind of mentor of, uh, the great Chris Parker. Uh, but he has 31 career touchdowns, I think is the number and, uh, just kind of goes a little unsung and he's a friend of the Thundercast. Uh, he's been by the tailgate a little bit. He has a son as a wide receiver on the roster, Cam Pedro, and now his daughter, Kennedy Pedro, running track uh, at Marshall. So I'm sure a proud Papa and uh, we're, we're proud for him, but uh, great to have her on board. Yeah. And it, that's an era of herd fans. There's a lot of people that we've come across just in our travels with the Thundercast and interactions with people that say Glenn Pedro is my favorite all time herd player. Right. Yeah. So I'm betting that now those same fans they knew Cam was probably on the football roster, but they probably didn't know Kennedy was on the track and field roster. And now if you didn't have a favorite track and field athlete, you probably do now. So it's it's just so cool, man. We love it when the bloodlines from our former players and our greats continue to come to Huntington and compete. I mean, we're seeing that with a lot of players, right? We've got Pennington here. We've got uh, Jaden Yates is on the football team, son of Max Yates. Uh, the Pedro, the Pedro kids are here and you know, we're still, we're recruiting. Remember there's, mm -hmm. there's some, there's some football athletes out there and that we are recruiting that are second generation herd players. If they commit here or if they sign here, they've committed, but if they sign, 
So it's a really cool time, you know, for especially guys and gals of our age that watched these, watched the dads compete. And now we're, we're in a position where we could possibly see the sons and daughters compete uh, for the next two, three, four, maybe five years. It's so cool, man. That's such a cool thing. Yeah. And um, he probably would say different, but I think Glenn Pedro could still suit up and put up some yards. I've, he he's still put together pretty good. <laughs> he might give you those. I'm I'm not as good as I once was, but I'm as good once as I ever was. That kind of thing. I, th I think he's got a full series in him. You know, he's got yeah, an offensive series left. He's got a 4.0 yard per carry drive still left in him. I feel it. I feel that. All right, swimming and diving. We've talked about all the accolades and uh, accomplishments that they've been doing. Their next meet is at uh, FIU, and that will be on Friday. Uh, men's soccer, uh, you had briefly hinted at this, but uh, we picked up a commitment from Adrian Mahoney. Uh, so as you said, the reload is in full force. We had brought in the transfer that we talked about last week, and here's a commitment here that was also uh, a pretty big commit. Yeah. So we bring in the American Athletic Conference's leading scorer, from a mm -hmm. year ago, and now you augment that with um, another weapon. And I wish, you know, I wish it was easier to get info on a lot of these guys from soccer like it is in football, you know, but that's right. just the nature of the beast of how important football is in America. You know, soccer mm -hmm. is important too, but th there's just not enough people that cover it the same way. That's and right. There's not enough recruiting sites that are built for soccer. And so it's hard to get an accurate um, expression sometimes because it's like, Oh, this guy was in the, you know, the, the 18 U team for this national team and that kind of, and you got to mm -hmm. kind of go off of that. It's not as simple as, well, he's a four star midfielder. You know, you don't get that type of thing that makes it easier for the average fan to understand. We've but also ran into uh, uh, very uh, similar, even the exact the names, name. yeah, the exact names and uh, the same position, the same name and all that. So you're trying to distinguish which player it even was because they're two different ages or something. So, yeah. um, but I think what you got to do now is I'm not saying like you blindly follow right? What, what Grassy and the staff do. But if you don't yield to them, when they bring a guy in and they say, yes, he is cut from the right cloth to be a part of our roster. He can help us win. Then you're just choosing to be contrary <laughs> because this guy's one of the best coaches in the, in the country. And what he's done with this program is nothing short of amazing. So if a guy shows up with in a commitment tweet or post saying, I'm coming to play for the herd. I'm all, I'm just automatically thinking, all right, well, he's probably pretty awesome. And it's just easier for me to do that because I, it's hard to follow soccer recruiting at times. And uh, when I see a guy like that, you know, initially I can't say like what I do with football because the information is just readily out there. So you might usually just see me say the reload continues until we can cipher who this guy is versus another guy that might have the same name. They might be the same age and all that kind of stuff. It's just tough because a lot of times it's international recruiting, right? So that mm -hmm. it's not like, Oh, he comes from XX high school in West Virginia. That narrows it down. You know what I mean? But when you're globally recruiting, it makes it a lot tougher, but the reload does indeed continue. All right. 
on over to men's basketball. They had a bit of a rough stretch there. Lost to Miami, Ohio, 79-74. To Duquesne, 85-72. But then they bounced back with a very good come-from-behind victory at Ohio uh, to pick up a much-needed win, uh, 74-69. They play at Toledo tonight at 7 p.m., then they will host UNC Greensboro Saturday at 7 p.m., and then they will host Bluefield Monday at 7 p.m. Big three-game stretch here. They need some victories to help kind of right the ship on where they were going. Yeah, right in the middle of the MAC swing, you know, one and one in the MAC right now, uh, trying to go two and one against uh, Toledo. Toledo is a heavy favorite in that game, of course, because the game is uh, up in Toledo big part of it but uh, the herd is is you know just over a 25 percent chance to go up to toledo and get a win tonight but um it's not a lot of respect there you know in, in vegas for the herd minus eight and a half uh for toledo in the game tonight but look the one that we wanted to get the two really that we wanted to get was miami ohio and ohio because those are two historic rivals there's a lot of history there between those two teams and the herd came up short at home against uh the Red Hawks, uh, then, you know, again, short at home against Duquesne, but were able to go up to Athens, Ohio, and really get a nice win. That's a solid win. You know, I'm not going to pretend that Ohio is like an Elite Eight team, but that's a solid win in a, te- in a place that's usually pretty tough for Marshall to play. And to go up there and get that five-point win, nice. You needed to end that skid. Herd's just three and six on the season at that point. Well, now, and then they're going to head up to Toledo to play uh, tonight. In that one, uh, Obana and uh, Kevin Voiles both had 18. Um, Nate Martin, for the first time in a long time, seems like not the double-double. Didn't get a double-double. Really close, eight points, eight rebounds. But Obana, 18 points, six boards. Uh, Voiles, 18 points, also six boards. Kerfman had 14 in that one. And uh, Cam Crawford, 12 points off the bench. Dude, uh, it's always going to be the theme. Always going to be the theme. Shots fall, herd wins. That's it. They shot almost mm-hmm. 50% from the floor in that one. 44% from three-point land. They went 8 of 18. Herd's hot mm-hmm. like that from behind the arc. They're going to win ball games. Now, being that that's just a five-point win, you know, and you go nearly 50% from three-point range, I don't know what that says, but you would think, oh, man, maybe the margin of victory should have been a little bit bigger. We don't know how the ball bounces, you know, at a, in any given game, but as long as the shots are falling – the herd's probably going to win. When the shots don't fall, the herd ain't going to win. It's basketball 101. But big opportunity tonight against Toledo uh, to get a little bit closer to being a 500 ball club. Toledo's 5-4, and four, so they're not, like, killing it by any means, but still a pretty good team. Uh, Marshall needs to get this win. They need to start stringing together some wins. Of course, the game on uh, Saturday, uh, December 16th, will be back at the cam against UNC Greensboro. You mentioned they're 8-1 and one currently on the season. Yes, we will have tickets, but let's get behind the boys tonight as they travel to Toledo, Ohio, and uh, go up there and try to put back-to-back dubs on the on the board. Real quick, just on the season, I want to throw out some stats because it's been a while since we've uh, talked about the season stats. Obana leads us with 14.7 points, and Kevon Voiles is right behind him at 14.3. We have four above 11.3 and five 
right at that 10 points and above. Drastically different than last year. Yeah. Uh, spreading the points around. Cam Crawford is uh, fifth in scoring at 9.5. He dropped 20 uh, the other day, by the way. Nate Martin has 9.6 rebounds a game. He's almost averaging a double-double. Uh, he's at 11.7 points and 9.6 rebounds. Um, leading the way in three-point percentage, uh, Kaisen Pruitt off of the bench is hitting 60%, but amongst your starters and um, significant time playing, uh, Cam Crawford is at 36%, and Cam Kerfman's at 31.5. So only bring that up is because Kerfman has historically been closer to that 40%. So when those start dropping at that rate, you're talking about adding another maybe nine points a game coming in if um, a couple of more of those shots, just three more shots, and that's enough to win some of these close games. So. Yeah. Um, now I'm not saying Kerfman's getting ready to start scoring nine more a game. I mean, the team overall, uh, right. It's just a big difference, right? Cause last year it was all about Tavion Kenzie. It was all yeah. about uh, Andy Taylor and the defensive yeah. presence down low with Han Logdon and Obina. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and the bulk of the scoring, both of those guys were 20 point a game scores, you know, and now it's more of a, uh, by committee. And we, we yep. knew that is what it was going to be. We knew that's what it was going to be. So y- y- all that means to me is more guys have to stay hot because if you're relying on more guys to put up your point production, then more guys have to hit more shots. That's it. Uh, the good side about that is when you don't rely on two guys to do the bulk of your score and one guy has an off night, you still have a pretty good chance to win a game or at least stay in it and see what happens at the end. But it's a different makeup. We knew it was going to be. Uh, and mm-hmm. there's a lot of growing pains. It's not great. I'm not sugarcoating it. I mean, this team is struggling. They are struggling to find an identity and figure out what they're going to be. And it's a little frustrating. And it's causing some rumbles to go, you know, through the fan base as one would expect. But you know, every game is an opportunity to get it right or get it right. Er, and you know, non-conference season is about to wrap up, and then the games really, really, really count. All right, so we're going to finish around the herd with the women basketball team. They crushed Salem 115-56. to I think everyone kind of saw that coming. It's just two different levels. Uh, They will be traveling to Jacksonville for Friday, 6.30 p.m. tip, and then they will be at Elon on Sunday for a 1 p.m. game. Hmm. Yeah, I've got some pretty impressive numbers from that Salem game. And you take us with a grain of salt, right? Cause we expected a big blowout win and we saw it, you know, 115 to 56. While it looks eye popping and impressive on a scoreboard, the talent level disparity between the top and bottom of the rosters is just night and day, but still a great overall team effort. You're talking about six scores and double figures and uh, seven scores with at least eight points. All but one player on the roster got at least a bucket. <laughs> so uh, leading the way for the herd was uh, Aislinn Hayes with 23 and seven boards, followed shortly behind with Abby Beeman, 15 points, 10 assists, seven boards. She is just nipping at the triple-double every single game. Uh, Abby Beeman in the Kim Caldwell system is thriving. 
man thriving. Uh, right behind Abby, you had Brianna Campbell with 14, and then uh, Mahogany Mas Matthews with 12. CC Mays and uh, Sydney Scott both had 10. I mean, the scoring is just there. You know, we need mm -hmm. these games to. These are games, even though you expect to see a huge point disparity, big blowout win. This is a still live action game, game speed game against different players to where it's a chemistry building opportunity. These are the type of games, even though you're like, yeah, it's, it's Salem. And I'm not knocking Salem, man. They are what they are. Um, this is the type of stuff you need to build that chemistry to, to play in real time at real game speed. It's just different than practice, right? It's different. Yeah. So seeing all these scores, great. Buckets fall, buckets are falling. doesn't matter who you're playing. Buckets are going to fall if they're going to fall. It's the defensive side of things is where you really see when you're playing somebody like Salem versus somebody like James Madison, for example. That's where it's going to be a little bit different. But um, nonetheless, the herd is now 4-4. Four and four. Uh, Coach Caldwell is – I mean, she's 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 doing the thing, man. She's doing the thing. We sent a couple of fans to this last game, and and um, got back in the DMs, and the, and a fellow was like, "That was exciting. More fans need to get out to see this team." And that's yeah. what we've been preaching, and that's what we mm -hmm. need. It can't just always come from us. We need other fans to get on at the game or just after the game and go, "Wow, I was at women's basketball, and it was freaking awesome." Tickets are so cheap. You guys got to come check out a game because we said just like before, like if you go to a softball game, chances are you'll go back, right? So this is kind of like um, the same thing. Go to a women's basketball game. I bet you you'll go back. Uh, tickets are always available, and they're really, really cheap. And if you're looking for something to do, just go. So it kill a couple of hours, have a good time. And now you mentioned uh, the herd will go Friday down to uh, Jacksonville to play. And then they're on a little bit of a road swing, actually a big road swing. They got Elon and then Wake Forest and then Southern Miss. So they're about to get out of the um, non-conference schedule as well. The herd won't be back at home until 2024, uh, a Thursday game against South Alabama on the 4th and – we will have tickets. There'll be back-to-back -back home games on the 4th and the 6th, and we'll be giving tickets away to both of those. Yeah, last thing that I want to say is when you go to these games, or if you watch them on TV, hopefully if you're in the area, you're at the game, um, you're going to see some of the finest passing that will just blow your mind from Abby Beeman. Mm -hmm. uh, just dropping some absolute no-look dimes, uh, fresh off steals, hitting people in stride, uh, creating from turnovers like defense to offense immediately with some killer passes. She just hit a very good behind-the-back pass that, uh, uh, you know, again, if this is the men and it's on uh, ESPN+, Plus, somebody's going to be saying, oh, put that on top 10, you know, ESPN top 10. Mm -hmm. You really want to watch this squad man they are hustling after every loose ball they are relentless on um on the press and they go for as many tie-ups for jump balls as you could possibly see i mean it's just in their mindset and that is good basketball i mean you're talking about going after every loose ball hustling you're talking about running up and down the court no one's uh taking any breath 
if someone's tired or someone gets a foul or something, here's just four fresh new players we're going to bring in. It is exciting basketball. Lots of points. There's no reason you shouldn't be at the cam watching this. Yeah, there. That's that's all, as much as it is about ingrained and type of player that that's coaching and that's the system. Yeah. Like this is a point of mm-hmm. emphasis. We are going to hustle after every ball because uh, game time is our time to shine. And we're going to have to come up with some kind of catchphrase for this style of basketball that that we can that we can uh, you know that Marshall can kind of market. I mean, you know, forty. I don't. What do they play? How many? How long are their minutes? Forty, 40 it's, minutes. It's four ten minute uh, quarter. So yeah, yeah. It needs to be forty minutes of something, or you know what I mean? Like just give an idea to the fan base of what they're coming to see. You know. Um, I don't know the most relentless forty minutes in basketball or something like that. You know that that kind of that kind of thing that just grabs you and goes, okay, I know what I'm in for when I walk in the door. I'm in for a lot of hustle. I'm in for a lot of press. I'm in for a lot of smothering defense and scoring and passing and and that's that speaks relentless to me. So um, I would love. I'm I'm really looking forward to the con- to the longevity of the Caldwell era because it's going to afford me the opportunity to eventually be able to get to games. It's just nearly impossible uh, to get there from Tampa, right? That's why I perked up when I saw Florida on the schedule, and I thought, I can go to Gainesville. That's just a couple hours up the road. And then it turned out the damn game was in Huntington. But anyway. Which was an amazing game yeah, to be yeah, at. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> oh, you missed out oh, once in a lifetime. <laughs> It really right. was. I mean, there's good crowd, great energy. But yeah, yeah. that does us for around the herd. So uh, you got anything else? No, I don't have any final words right now. Um, I We're going to have to switch it up here. I know Russ has to take off, um, but we've got something else that's going to come on the other side of this break. But Russ is going to bow out, and I hate to do this, but I think I'm going to have to take us out at the end of it all because um, – you know, on the other side of this break, we've got a little bit more. So hang with us. It's the Thundercast. I told you guys, if you stuck around to the end of the episode, you were going to be finding yourself in the midst of something pretty cool. And for those of you that have been with the Thundercast since the very beginning or have joined at some point along the way, you have inevitably heard us talk about Abby the Great. Cross country, track and field, the greatest Abby Herring. And look, now I've got her live with me. And we're going to talk to Abby for a little bit, but I got to say, it's been a long time coming. We've followed your career since we started the show, which is edging closer to two years now. And I'd love to think that there are a lot of fans out there uh, in the herd universe that now are paying a little bit closer attention to track and field and cross country and no names like Kylie Maston and Rebecca Merritt and Abby Herring. So thanks for taking the time this afternoon and talking with me for a little bit. Yeah, of course. It's I'm happy to be here. It's a pleasure. Good. Well, let's talk about it all. Okay. Um, but the, I guess the first thing is, you know, before we can even talk about time at Marshall and what's accomplished, what you have accomplished and what is still yet to accomplish, I guess. Um, how in the world do you evolve into running like when did that start for you was it a youth thing or it was like nah, i thought i'd give it a go in junior high or middle school or high school 
Yeah. So I started running um, track in seventh grade. I, before then, previously, I had tried out a whole bunch of different sports. I had swam, I had danced, I had played tennis, and I wasn't really ever good at anything. I don't have good hand-eye coordination. I'm super clumsy. So all these sports, like they, nothing really came easily to me. And um, so I kind of just did it for like a social thing. All my friends are running track. And so I was like, well, you know, I'll, I'll do this too. Um, just another way to meet more people and hang out with my friends. And um, I had, this is kind of funny. I, so I had trained with the track team and we really didn't even run outside. We kind of just like ran around the hallways around my middle school. And I had told my parents, I was like, don't even come to my first track. meet. like, it's going to be bad. Like, don't come. <laughs> I ended up winning the 800 uh, meter run, which is the second or sorry, third longest event that they do, um, at like at the middle school level. And I ended up winning and it was super fun. And my parents were like, you told us not even to come. <laughs> Uh, won, but um, yeah, so I started running in seventh grade after I ran track that year. I went out for the cross country team in eighth grade and then just kept running all throughout high school. Um, yeah, uh, my freshman year of high school, I had gotten all state, I got fourth place, and I my high school, uh, middle school running training plan was a lot different than what I'm doing now. Um, not a lot of miles. Uh, I think my coaches they they ran at one point in their life and like our team, we had a lot of fun. It was a really cool experience, but it wasn't a super rigorous, like sketched yeah. out. This is what you're going to do every day type of plan. And so I think when I was 14 years old, I had uh, ran a really good time at my freshman year state meet. And I think after that, I had just, I don't know if it was mental or physical or what kind of went on, but I, I didn't really run that great ever again. And so going into college, um, Coach Bowen at Marshall was kind of like the only bigger school who had reached out to me about running. And I think it was because of that one time that I had ran, you know, he's like, okay, I know she doesn't do like a lot of um, mileage or, you know, she doesn't do any crazy training. And so he ended up reaching out to me and offered me a little bit of money to come to Marshall. And I, I took it. Yeah. Well, it, it's, I was about to ask, you know, oh, I want to ask her. And when did it hit you that you know, you said, well, I ran really well early and then I really couldn't replicate that. So was it, did it not, well, let me figure out how I want to say this. Was You're it good. not until coach Bowen reached out that you thought, okay, maybe I do have a future in this. Was it, was your plan for like, all right, I'll do this in high school and then that'll kind of be it. Yeah. So I think going like whenever I was a senior in high school, um, coach Bowen was one of the first coaches to reach out to me. He was only D one coach. And then there was a couple of D two schools also in there. Um, but I mean, even then I, I was an in-state school before then I hadn't even really thought about running in college. I was just going to go to WVU and study whatever I wanted and just, you know, kind of retire running. But, um, I came on my visit and I was like, well, well, you know, this could be kind of fun, uh, going into college, having another team, another, another way to make friends, I guess you could yeah. say, you know, yeah. you come here and you already have your people. Um, but yeah, even then, I guess I, I came on the, I came on the visit and I was like, okay, like this could be cool. And I ended up signing a couple months later uh, with Marshall, but before he had reached out to me, I, I guess I really hadn't thought about continuing at the next level. So I have to jump the gun a little bit. Uh, you didn't, but you know, I have to know because I know it was this way when I came out of high school too. It was like the pipeline of a lot of my friends in high school, they went to Morgantown and there were only two or three of us that went to Huntington. And I'm really glad that I went to Huntington. You know, it, it turned into being the place that I needed it to be for, for me. And uh, you come to a visit 
right? And you're checking things out. And um, was there this kind of singular moment to where it really like it clicked and you're like, yes, this is where I'm supposed to be. Um, I don't know if there is a singular moment, but I, I absolutely loved the community here. You know, like we went to hall of fame for dinner and everything was decked out in Marshall and, you know, you'd be walking around like Pullman area and, uh, like everything was just Marshall themed. And I was like, wow, you know, that's super cool. The community is super like, they're all just all invested in this university. Um, I don't know. I really, I just really liked all the athletic facilities too. And the, uh, extra perks, you know, you get with being a student athlete, such as free tutoring at the buck or, um, access to team doctors, the training room, stuff like that. And so I think that was kind of enticing to me. And I also just really liked coach Bowen as a coach. Uh, he was super welcoming and super kind to me. Yeah. Now was your visit like your first trip to Huntington ever? Had you been here before? I had been here before. Yeah, I had been here before um, to visit some friends who went here. Okay. Uh, but I guess I I never really seen the campus or anything like that. Until gotcha. It. Yeah, it was it was it was a different focus before. It was pleasure trips, and this time it was a little bit more business. Yeah, yeah. Um, now most fans out there they think of the Chris Klein Athletic Complex as being you know this huge benefit for primarily the football team, right? But uh, we've hosted now several meets at the Chris Klein Athletic Complex, including just this past weekend. So from an alternative perspective, from an athlete, a current athlete, and a high-performing athlete that is not a member of the football team, give me a little insight as to how important that facility is for you guys and also what it means to be able to host meets at home as opposed to always hitting the road. So, um, the, uh, Jeff small indoor track, so the Chris Klein athletic facility, but just that indoor track, it is like, I mean, we meet there every single day for practice, um, host meets obviously. And, you know, I think us have not having an outdoor track yet, which we are, they're getting one at some point. Um, but us not having an outdoor track yet, that indoor track, it serves as like, you know, if it's snowing outside or if it's raining, you know, you have this awesome 300 meter facility that you can go run on. Um, we do all of our workouts there. Uh, we do our strength uh, circuits on the turf, you know, where the football team practices. And so that track to us is it's a lot more than just like a 300 meter loop. You know, we have all of our practices there, uh, all of our strengthening stuff. Um, I mean, just going for the whole facility, uh, the athletic training staff is awesome. You know, you have the buck upstairs where there's access to tutors and our advisors, tons of computers, study rooms, stuff like that. Uh, yeah, that facility, it's, it's awesome. That's, I feel like that's the heart of our athletic department right there. Um, also hosting meets there is super fun. You know, we, it is, it is cool to get on the road and see new towns and cities and stuff. However, you know, not all of our families and friends and, you know, professors, teammates, I student taught last year. I had some of my students come and watch races at the track. You don't get that whenever you travel, you know, eight hours to Birmingham, Alabama, so being able to host our own meets is really cool too. Yeah. But it's also the little things like getting to sleep in your own bed and yeah, exactly. using your own shower. You know, yeah. these are the things that anybody that travels for a living can attest to like, man, it's just good to be at home and be crash on my own couch for a little bit. Yeah, so I agree. I can dig that. 
as well. Now, let's let me dig into your mind a little bit, okay? Because this is always one of the most intriguing things to me when I talk to athletes and former athletes is the mental preparation and what it what it means to you like how you your process works as you get prepared. And I'm not talking about your training regimen. I'm talking about we're through that and it's com competition day. Uh, do you find yourself like highly focused and and like locked into what you're about to do? Or is it one of these scenarios where it's like my mind goes blank because I know I'm about to do something that I really, really enjoy and it's more of a stress reliever than a focus thing? Where does it fall for you? I would say somewhere in between. I You could ask anyone on the team. I am like the most lighthearted when it comes to race day because if I, I think if I were to find myself in a position where I'm just so focused in on what I'm about to do and uh, like it's stressing me out, like, you know, I've, <clears throat> I've been around people who get so into it that they, you know, they end up psyching themselves out so much that the race comes and they don't, you know, they don't perform well. I'm somewhere in the middle about, uh, like I don't completely zone out and I'm like, oh, I'm so excited to be in pain for 20 minutes. But um, <laughs> yeah, I'm somewhere in between of being lighthearted about it and, you know, trusting that the the work that I have put in is it's going to pay off. You know, I've been hitting certain times in workouts that I know like is going to translate over to this time in a race. So I, tr I trust like I trust my coach and my training and stuff going into it. And so I just kind of I don't know, uh, I uh, have a very lighthearted approach to it. My friend, you know, Kylie Mastin, she, I think, used to be the opposite of it. And then we started rooming together at meets. She's like, I don't think I can ever go to a meet without you anymore. <laughs> Keep my mind off the race. <laughs> so is uh, is 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 the the possibility there that a a venture into coaching mate uh, might appear at some point? Um, maybe. I don't know. I, I mean, I want to teach, so I'll be in the school systems, and so maybe like a little middle school, high school. Uh, cross country coach gig. Nothing. I don't think anything higher than that, though. <laughs> never know, right? We're just uh, gonna you never leave, know. We're going to leave the door cracked open for right now because uh, you're still very young and and life takes many turns and you never know. The itch just may never go away. And you think Marshall was really good to me, and now all of a sudden at X point in the future they need a track and field uh, coach or, or cross country coach, and I think I'd like to throw my name in the hat. Yeah. <laughs> What's the best part of competing for you? The best part of competing, I would say the team atmosphere. Uh, so I always like talking about the DMR because that's like my favorite thing I've done at Marshall. Uh, it's at their indoor conference meet. I've done it two years and the two years I've done, we've been on the podium. So the order is a 1200 first and then the 1200 passes off to the 400, 400 passes off to the 800. 800 passes off to the mile. So it's just like a mesh of a whole bunch of distance, distance events slash sprints. And, um, competing, competing to me is more like, it's not about the actual race or, you know, what's leading up to it. It's about like the after, you know, after, uh, you'd already done it and it's like celebrating with your team, I think is the best part about it for me. Let me, uh, let me, let me try to pass this quiz because I am not a, track and field aficionado, right? I appreciate what you folks do because I cannot do it. And I yeah. think it's, I think, I think it's just really cool. DMR, let me guess. Okay. Distance medley relay. Yes. Yes. You got it. <laughs> See, I'm, I still got a little bit in, in a little bit of knowledge kicking around back there in, in my, uh, in my noggin. Yeah. Um, I think it's impossible to talk to Abby Herring without talking about records 
because geez, you <laughs> have set, reset, and own a lot of them. And before I even talk about any of them, which by the way, I have them all in front of me. <laughs> uh, do you a care about them? Uh, do you pay attention to them? And, uh, when you're not lying to me, when you say, no, you don't care about them. Uh, how cool is it to know you have a lot of them? Um, I mean, I do care about them. <laughs> I, I think that's something super cool. You know, I came yeah. here and, you know, got so much better since high school. So that is something that's super cool. And it's, you know, it's awesome that I do have so many, um, but I'm not the type of person it's, you know, if someone were to come and break a record of mine, I would be, I would be happy for them. Sure. Uh, yeah. I, you know, I worked hard for them and I know the person, another person who comes in the future, it's, it's going to be broken eventually. And I know that they would have put in the same work as well. Um, yeah. It's, it's super cool being able to have like my name on a record board that represents this school from a state that I'm, you know, was born and I've lived my whole life. I'm from West Virginia. I'm from Parkersburg. And so be, like having my name represent the school, this state is something super cool. Yeah. You know, it, it's, we're, we're taught as uh, kids and, and as we grow up to be, to be humble and be appreciative. And, and oftentimes it's really easy to get in a setting like this where, you know, people are going to be listening and watching and go, Oh no, I don't pay attention to my records. I, you know, it, I just want to have, I just want to perform well and do look. I get what you're saying. It's that's the personal reward. Like, wow, I worked my tail off and now I'm the best to ever do it currently, like right. in what in whatever discipline. So I would pay attention to it, too. But I'm just like you. Records are made to be broken. Right? Absolutely. Somebody said it before you and you broke it. Yeah. And I want to tell you some of the things that during the course of the Thundercast, we will always you know, report on these things and we would let the fans know about what you and your teammates have been doing in this program and how it is like really rising over the past couple of years, how we've been paying attention and we've just seen this steady in incline in success. We would use words like obliterate and demolish because it's not like, Oh, one, one hundredth of a second that you set this. It's like often full seconds or many, many seconds of, of these distance runs like that you cut off of a, of a, of a former record time so we would have to use terms like annihilate because that's what it is, you know? So you have um, set nine cross-country records, set or reset, set and reset. Okay. Six indoor track records, eight outdoor track records for a total of 23 records that you have set and reset. And some have been broken since by teammates of yours. Yes. Uh, we, but the 23 records is also a record. <laughs> so uh, when we talk about, I use the term a lot on our shows called rarefied air, right? And I think it's pretty self-explanatory. You are in rarefied air among herd athletes, not just herd runners, not just among women's runners or however you want to dissect it down. We're talking about herd athletes. You know, I bet very few I don't know this for fact, but I am willing to gamble that very few own 23 individual records or did at one point and then uh, 24 overall records with the record of re number of records that you have being also a record. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I could say that over again, but yeah. um, that's just very impressive. So oh, thank you. I didn't even know that. So <laughs> see, so for a gal that came out of high school, just willing to take a shot. 
and, and uh, just continue the career to be where you are now with, I'm assuming you'll have to correct me, a spring seat. Are you going to compete in the spring? Yes, I'll have okay. indoor and outdoor season uh, this spring, and then I'm I'm out of eligibility. So there you go, right? So with a little more, a little bit more, even still yet, maybe to accomplish, utterly amazing career, and it's not over, right? Um, but it culminated this fall with a trip to the NCAA finals, and we all saw the video um, when you kind of got the news, and you didn't. You thought it wasn't going to happen, right? Take me through yeah. that. I don't want to tell the story. I want you to tell the story because it's your story and it's freaking awesome. Yeah. Um, okay. So we competed our regional meet. It was at Lehigh University in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. It was it was a cold meet. It was cold. It was, it was I don't know. It was, for me, it's like the perfect uh, cross-country conditions. Um, going into it, I had thought, so the way that they take athletes or teams and athletes to the national me is a little bit, it's a little bit confusing. So they take the first, the top two teams um, out of the region, they take the top two teams and then they take the next four individuals. So they take out anyone who was on one of those top two teams, they take them out of it and then they take the next four individuals. I going into the me, I thought they only took two individuals. Oh, I thought it was two teams, two individuals. It turns out it's four. And so I had got done and um, I had PR'd. I had broken 20 in the 6K. And so I was just happy. You know, I, I before the meet even started, I had said to the girls, I was like, okay, like this is our last one. Like, let's just leave it all out there. And um, so I had finished running. I was excited because I got a PR, but um, you know, it was what it was. I didn't think I'd made it to the national meet. And going into this cross country season, you know, it was, it was a goal that was kind of in the back of my head, but if I didn't make it, whatever, you know, it, it is what it is. Uh, but okay. So I finished and, um, everyone was coming up to me and they were like, congratulations. I was like, Oh, thanks. You know, it's over. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, yeah. And so then coach Bowen, he came over to me and he had tears in his eyes. He was like, you made it. It's like, no, I didn't. But thank you. <laughs> Um, but once I, you know, he had shown me the results on his phone, I started tearing up and it was, it was a really cool experience. I didn't realize I'd made it and, um, I ended up making it. So it yeah. was cool. My whole team was around me. Um, coaches, my mom was there. My dad was there. It was, it was really cool. It was a great moment to have, uh, been captured, you know, and posted on social media, you know, for everybody, uh, in, in, in the herd universe to potentially see and, and share in that joy with you. It was so cool, man. That's the kind of stuff that you just never get tired of seeing. You, you don't, man, because our Olympic sports, and it's really, it's not just here. It's Olympic sports around the country, collegiate athletics. They're just, you know, so underappreciated because football and basketball and, and in a lot of parts of the country, baseball, they just, they consume so much of the fandom. So when we see these things, you know, it, it's just so great, man, because you guys work just as hard. You carry a class load that's just as heavy mm -hmm. and you do the same traveling. You have treatments, you have, you know, workouts, you, everything. You do everything exactly the same as these other sports that, you know, drive the revenue bus. Right. And and um, it's just so fulfilling when we get to share those moments as fans with you guys, because we're not we're not there. Right. We talked about this a little bit before we hit record. Uh Cross country is such a different animal because there's no stadium you're going to. There's no crowd. You know, you're kind of just running 
you're, you're through the, in the wild, Abby Herring in the wild running, you yeah. know? So it's a different, uh, it's a different type of animal. There's no, um, no huge spectator base for that because you can't buy a ticket to a game and sit in your seat and see a lot of the action. Like if I went to a cross country meet, I'd be like, here comes Abby and there goes Abby. And that's my viewing of the meet, you know, exactly. So, yeah. uh, it's just, a, it's such a cool thing. Let me ask you this. What would you say is your favorite distance? What is your bread and butter? Is it that, is it that 6k? I would say so. I would, yeah, it, I, would, I think it's the 6k, the 5k and the 6k. I, there is a difference. I think I'm better at the 6k than the 5k, even though it's just a K longer. Um, I ran the 10k. So going into track, I guess, switching from cross to track, um, cross country 6k is my favorite, uh, track. I tested out the 10k once last year. So that's 25 laps around a 400 meter track. Um, I, I kind of enjoyed it. <laughs> so, um, hopefully I'll get in a couple more of those distances this year and see how that goes. But yeah, I would say the longer stuff is more of my bread and butter, but bread and butter per se. So distance, uh, was, well, you told me you won your first, uh, competition way back in, in middle school. And, uh, you know, that wasn't what I would consider a sprint. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so distance has always just been the favorite. You were naturally drawn to distance. Yeah. I had tried out for my elementary school track team and I think they had us doing like sprints, you know, maybe running like a 50 meter dash and I got cut from the team <laughs> in elementary school. <laughs> so I don't think the sprints is my, uh, my best, uh, my best of it. All right. Fair enough. So back and forth between this 5k and this 6k, um, just a little quiz, a little quiz. Okay. Since I've got the numbers, I might as well quiz you. Um, you've cut both of your times from your first 5k at Marshall and your first 6k at Marshall down significantly to your most recent. Um, which would you say you cut the most time off of? Oh, wow. I have, you know, I'm not even sure what my first 5k and first 6k was at Marshall. I'm going to say the 6k just because it's longer. Okay. Your first 6k at Marshall was 22 minutes, 14 seconds. And your current is 1952 for, uh, what is that? About two minutes and 22 seconds. Oh, off. that's crazy. <laughs> 5k. First one at Marshall was 19 minutes, 20 seconds. Most current 16 minutes, 49 seconds for a total of two minutes, 31 seconds cut off. So the 5k you've actually gotten faster than the oh, 6k wow. <laughs> over the course of your career. Uh, I got to tell you, th this has been really, really cool to talk about this kind of stuff because I never ran track. I never did. Probably should have at some point, but I didn't. Um, when you are training, when you are practicing, uh, are you a music or no music? Oh, that's a controversial question. So practice, no music, because there's other girls around, you know, you're chatting, having conversation. Um, now on my solo runs, <clears throat> sorry. Uh, so over winter break, I am a music person <laughs> when okay. it's just me. I have a, I don't have it on right now, but I have a Garmin 245 music and it's so convenient. You don't have to have your phone with you or anything. You just hook your headphones up to it and there's music already downloaded, like downloaded to your watch. So it's pretty convenient. I, I have a yeah. music on solo runs. So when I'm with people, I, I enjoy conversation. Okay. So fair enough. I get that. You, the, the big part of sports is the social aspect. And you just said that's a big reason of why you started running to begin with. Yeah. <laughs> so that now begs the question, 
what's on the playlist? What what's what is the, the oh hell yeah? What the people inquiring minds want to know, right? If I want to run like Abby Herring, I got to be listening to what Abby Herring's listening to, obviously. So, what's on the playlist? Okay, um, this is gonna be a lot of Taylor Swift, a lot of Olivia. I don't Rodrigo. know why, but I figured I was gonna be there. <laughs> yeah, uh, Taylor Swift, Olivia Rodrigo. Um, for more chill runs, I'll throw in some camp songs. Um, yeah, maybe some. Rainbow Kitten Surprise in there. Good. I, I mean, I'm going to be honest with you. I, I was with you up until like the third, fourth one. You know, that, like I, I would have thought, honestly, that you're screwing with me saying Rainbow Kitten Surprise. <laughs> Never heard of that in my life. Not surprising. There is a large gap between our ages. Yeah. But uh, um, interesting. Interesting. So for all those youngsters out there that that may see this and, and – um, those young girls that uh, that are dabbling into running and um, those local kids in and around Huntington or in and around Parkersburg that uh, your name pops up. Now you know what you need to be listening to. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's the whole key to success is the right music in the ears. Uh, look, I got something that I want to do here. I could talk to you for another hour because I'm having a whole lot of fun doing this. I got to be honest with you. Me too. Um, well, look. We'll do it again, okay? There's no rule that says you can't do it over and over and over and over. And I found that the more of our athletes that I interview, a lot of them have done media before, right? But I ain't media. You know, we ain't media. We're just fans talking to to uh, our athletes. Well, they come to find out that they really like doing this kind of stuff because it's kind of, you can be a little bit more candid and you can open up a little bit. And and so we're always up for for talking to our athletes. And, and I should tell you this, this um, you have an open invite anytime you want, right? You don't ever have to wait for us to say, hey, you want to come back on? We say that, well, that's what we want. We want you to be like, hey, we got a big meet coming up. I'd love to come talk about it. I'd like to bring Kylie along. We'd like to have two, three, four of our teammates come on and, and, and talk. We love that. Right. Um, but let me, let me, let me do this one thing. Um, uh, I'm going to quiet down. Always do this. I'm going to turn the microphone over to you, right? Because I think it's important that you have a voice that you obviously have a voice. And I think it's important that you get to use that voice on our platform to say what's important to you, to speak to whoever you want to speak to and to get out whatever messaging out there that you feel is important. So I'm just going to quiet down. Okay. Um, I, I think from just my personal experience with running, I have a lot to share in the sense of, you know, you don't have to be amazing in high school to go and run at the college level. Um, also, if, you know, if you aren't, if you aren't hitting like those times that, you know, you've always dreamed of hitting when you're, um, when you're younger and just know that like there is better things to come, you know, find a coach who, who knows you and that you trust and can make a awesome training plan for you. And, um, yeah, I hope that my story is a way just to show, you know, younger girls or, you know, guys even that it's possible to go to the next level, even if you haven't been super successful, um, in the past. Also, I would like to give a shout out. <laughs> I'm going to give a shout out to Coach Caleb Bowen for uh, giving me a chance to come and run at the Division One level. I seriously would not have been able to accomplish all that I could without him. And to my teammate Kylie Mastin, because she she I call her my uh, track mom. She takes care of me. <laughs> um, yeah, she's awesome. She she's one of the reasons that I came back for this fifth year of running. And so without her, I wouldn't have made it to the national meet or had uh, all these 
new records. Yeah. Good Lord. So I got to, I got to kind of respond to some of those things because uh, you, you've mentioned a couple of folks that we have become familiar with and, and haven't been fortunate enough to talk to in person. Like I'm talking to you right now, but Caleb Bowen, when he was named the head coach for cross country, we were ecstatic about that. And I, and I say that with really having very limited knowledge of the program before that happened, but we had been sending, seeing things trending upward right before that move was made. And we thought, this is awesome because this is what it, this is the right move, right? And and a lot of that excitement has turned into things that have come into fruition. The the ex, the uh, cross country team just, you know, we've seen this up uphill climb, and it's really really cool, man. We we say every week, folks should be paying closer attention to cross country and track and field because your athletes, you guys as athletes, are really easy to like. You're really easy to cheer for. And you, you perform really well. The programs perform really, really well. Um, Kylie, um, is there a bigger smile on the track and field team? I don't think so. You know, <laughs> uh, She always looks like she's having the time of her freaking life. Every time she's posted on social media uh, by, by the official accounts, it's always with this ear-to-ear grin. She looks like she is living her best life. She is. I, <laughs> I personally call her, my nickname for her is Big Time, so I call her uh, Big Time Kylie Maston. Hope she likes that. You, of course, have been deemed Abby the Great for a long time right now. Um, and, and that's just, you know, it, it, that's my personal thank you for being so likable, so um, so impressive as an athlete, uh, both of you and, and many of your other teammates that we just not mentioned here. You've just been really, really easy to cheer for. And oh, um, thanks. I'm really, I'm really thrilled to little side note. You mentioned that you were a student teacher last year. Uh, I knew by default where that occurred because you were teaching at my co-host Russ's school where his, or his kids go. So oh, he was wow. like, I walked by her all year long and didn't know it was her. And then finally it clicked. And so, you know, he was like, I could have gotten to know her over the last year and told her, you know, you know, uh, how we are following cross country and following track and you know that there are fans out there and heard in the herd universe that actually know and actually care but yeah that's so cool i didn't know that <laughs> i know i know it's it's just ships passing in the night man we didn't know and you didn't know and now here we are so is it is it uh, elementary education is the focus that's the passion Yes, it is. So I got my bachelor's. I graduated last spring with my bachelor's in elementary education. I did my student teaching in a second grade classroom. Absolutely fell in love with it. Uh, that school that I was at, the teachers, the students, the staff, like they're all just so amazing. Um, my mentor teacher also played a big role in that. She was awesome. But second grade, I think, was the my favorite classroom I've been in so far, that age group. But now I'm getting my master's in literacy education. So with that, I can get my uh, certificate to be a literacy specialist so I could pull students out who um, are struggling with reading. So you want to take a more um, individualized approach to education? That's the Yeah, I thing? think, I guess. So that with the literacy specialist certificate, I guess you could say, um, I want to, I definitely want to start off being just like the general teacher. And then, you know, a couple years down the road, I might find that I want to do something else. That's just kind of like on the back burner. Well, hey, a, a a a dream without a plan is just an just an idea, right? Yeah. It's, until you put a plan in motion, look, you got a long time to get it 
to where you want it. That's the great part about it. You know, I remember coming out of college thinking, I've got to have my life together. <laughs> no, you don't. <laughs> no, you don't. You've got a lot of time to uh, figure things out. You've got a lot of time to try things and have them work out or not work out and pivot and do something different. It, it's, it seems like you don't, but you really do. So I have no doubt that um, you will be ultimately successful uh, in, in whatever avenue uh, you choose to partake. I gotta, I gotta embarrass you one more time. Oh, uh, I hope I haven't done that too many times, but I gotta embarrass you because Russ and I have talked about this a number of times on the show. And, and I alluded to this a little bit before. Um, we think that you are absolutely going to be one day a herd hall of famer and whether that happens or doesn't, you know, I'm not trying to put any pressure on any committees because that's far down the road. Right. But coming out of high school, beginning college, you know, freshman Abby Herring dealing with the transition of high school to college and all the new and all of that stuff. Now the journey through Marshall, staring down the barrel of the final semester with still some things to accomplish, right? At any point, did you ever think I could be a Hall of Fame athlete at my college? Um, absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> Even now, that seems just like very far really? out of reach. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's just impossible to me to have an athlete in front of me that has accomplished what you have accomplished and 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 reach some of the things like the NCAA finals that you're the first female cross-country athlete ever to do that and only the third ever period to do that. So these are rarefied error once again. You know, this is – this is uh, – conference champions, bowl games, all these things that, you know, certain high-performing players on those teams, they accomplish this kind of stuff, and then it helps the resume, you know, and um, I'm excited for the spring semester. I'm I'm excited for the curtain call. We were excited when when we saw the I'm coming back, yeah. you know, for the fall. We thought, hell yeah, this is cool, man. Like, cross-country is going to stay strong for at least one more year, you know. Yeah. So we're excited for the curtain call se uh, semester. And I can't thank you enough for giving me far too much of your afternoon. Oh, uh, no, I, I, I loved it. This is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've already suckered you into saying you would do it again. So there's no backing out now. That's and true. Uh, you were just going to have to bring some teammates along with you kicking and screaming. Absolutely. You know? they, they, uh, would, they would adore it. <laughs> maybe we can uh, work on something for um, a season preview for the spring, or maybe we can work on something. Tell you what, let's get David in involved in this and we'll work something up for you guys and, and try to get, get, try to get something going. But for now, um, I got to take us out of here. So whether you see us at the Joan, whether you see us at the cam or whether you see us talking to Abby, the great, no matter where you see us, we're going to be saying go hurt.